we're going to end the series with uh, Saul and the really deep transformation. It's like a sort of like a shift that happened in Acts. And hopefully next year we'll do a, a, another series in the same season, but the second half of the book of Acts. You know, just wait up a little bit. Um, but uh, this is a great way to just finish this, this series. And um, I'm very, very excited about that. But, uh, well, I know maybe some of you are like, what is this series? I, you know, first time or second time hearing it. Uh, but um, you can go into our website and listen to the sermons. But anyways, um, so we're going through this uh, series called, again, Acts Sent to Send. For Okay, for those that are new, here we're taking a dive into the first half of the book of Acts, learning the sending nature of the triune God, as well as the importance of the church's empowerment by the Holy Spirit to go and embody Christ on earth bringing the message of hope and healing to a broken world. So that is like, that is the core of this series, being sent by the Holy Spirit so that we can send those that we impact, right? So uh, today marks the end of this series, um, as I said, and we've talked a a lot about the importance of being sent to send others Um, And though there will be suffering and real opposition from the enemy and the world around us, which J.Y. gave us a talk and a a sermon about that, which is very important. um, Jesus has given us the gift of the Holy Spirit to go forth in boldness, in humility, in love, to embody the gospel in words, in deed, in power to a broken world that is in their need, as you can see, especially in the city of New York need of healing and hope and can only be provided by the healing and saving touch of Jesus Christ. And that's what we're aiming for. But today, though, we will take a look at soul's deep transformation through an encounter with Jesus, where he being the very evil who caused fear and even deaths to the early church, um, Here he's transformed by Jesus and becomes one of the most prominent leaders of the church. Actually, more than half of the New Testament of the Bible is written by Paul, who is Saul, right? And to be honest, if there was a man to be feared by the church at that point was Saul, right? He was that guy that nobody wanted. You know, it's like, I don't know, nowadays, just think of maybe Putin, right? causing death, causing war, right? Imagine him being transformed and just doing the opposite of that. It's a, that's sort of like a, a good parallel, right? Or, or just things like that, or historically, think of Hitler, right? You just think of that kind of people, and that God just like changed them. And they become this prominent influence for the gospel and healing. And it's like Hitler becoming Mother Teresa or some, of sorts, right? It's just like... It just like it, it just blows your mind, but that's just a good parallel. It is a, actually a perfect parallel for what we're seeing here, because this guy is killing, imprisoning good people. That is actually bringing healing and hope to a hopeless people in Israel and beyond. So here we're talking about this man's soul, right? And. Uh, uh, and here we see God's radical transformation in a person and how he, through Jesus, is about the business of redemption, turning what seems impossible to something possible. So a few weeks ago, we were introduced to Saul, remember? A leader among the Pharisees who approved of Stephen's death, the first martyr. We actually had a sermon on Stephen, the first martyr. And that's when Saul first appearance here. And he, we see how focused, zealous, and clear goals he had against the early Christian church. He um, and his leadership. So he, he has a leadership, a skill set, and reputation. He has enough of that to imprison and kill any who follow Jesus. And he was determined to exterminate such movement. He was just determined. He was such a leader. To exterminate the church. He was a Salazy, right? He was a learned Pharisee. And he was just against these people that were going against the law and against the church of the time or the temple system, right? 
So, I, this just came to mind. This is like a little bit of a side note here for some nerds there. But do you ever heard that 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 thing that uh, that said uh, welcome coming? That said uh, <laughs> that said that um, you know. It, it, if you have faith, you can move the mountain. You know, you can move mountain. All right, so this is very scholastic, but it's, it's important for us to know. When Jesus was standing, he was overlooking the temple mount. So when he was saying, like, you have faith to move that mountain, he wasn't just talking about, oh, yeah, I just have faith to move mountains. That's how supernatural. He was talking about moving the very system that enslaved the Israelites, which is the temple system. He was going against the system, the Pharisaic system, that was all about the law, but not all about the love of God. And when Jesus said, you have faith to move the mountain, he was just talking against the very system of his day, which is the temple. He was like pretty much saying, kill me, you know, if you want. I was just doing these things, right? So I just always thought interesting when my OT, Old Testament professor talked about that. So I was like, hmm. Yeah, we, we don't see that unless you're a scholar of some sort, you know. So um, so anyways, we see here that Paul, Saul, was the epitome of that system that Jesus was talking about removing at his time, right? So let's go into scripture here, Acts 9, verses 1 to 31, and the sermon title is an unlikely candidate, right? He's very unlikely to be a candidate to bring forth the kingdom of God, to share the good news. Saul, an unlikely candidate. And first, we see on verse 1 through 2 that Saul's had a hate towards the way, right? Notice how Luke graphically describes Saul's hate against the early church as one who, quote here, Brief threats and murder against the disciples of Jesus. The very, unquote, so the very source of his sustenance, the air that he breathed, everything he thought was in his mind, because very graphic, you know, he breathed death and threats. And that in the Hebrew, you know, culture, breathing means life. You're living by your breath. Your soul is your breath, right? You ever think about like, you're breathing every single second. If you don't breathe, you're done. There's no life in your body. It's Hebrew thinking is breath is life, soul. So then the very source of soul sustenance, the air that he breathed, the very calling and purpose of his existence was to exterminate the movement of God, the way, Jesus, you know, and the very early church's movement. Now, also notice how the writer identifies those that followed Jesus as, quote, the way, unquote. And, and, and we see here that most likely his reference is at Jesus mentioning on the gospel, on the gospel of John as being the truth, the way, and the life. Jesus said, I am the truth, I am the way, I am the life, right, when he was in life. In the Gospel of John, he says, I am the truth, the way, the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. I am the way to the Father. There's no other way, no other religion, no other way of going to God but through me. So then the movement, you know, actually the word Christian, I think it's only mentioned twice in the New Testament. But the way is mentioned several times in the New Testament. So they didn't call themselves Christians. They call themselves the way. We are the way. You know, like the Mandalorian, this is the way, right? The way, right? This is the way. This is the way to God, right? And then they are like, we are the way, you know? And then, um, so, so there, there was this sense of like, we are the way to God. And then Paul is going against that way. Why? Because Paul says, that's the wrong way. I am the way. We are the way. The Pharisaic system is the way. The temple is the way. The law of Moses and all these man-made, right? Man-made um, uh, laws that we have made that that even people cannot get healed on the Sabbath or eat food on the Sabbath, have them just starve to death or have them just die because we have made this law that they are not supposed to be healed where you become so zealous about these laws 
that you are not seeing the heart of why God created the laws, right? Which was all about compassion and mercy and love. And even the prophets themselves, you know, call against them. Because they say, like, it is, it, I, I don't desire sacrifice by mercy. I don't desire sacrifice. I desire mercy, love, compassion, grace. But that's the opposite. The Pharisees were going all about sacrifice. Like, no, yeah, you should sacrifice yourself for the law. But there is no mercy, no compassion, right? So here we see that, that he is soul embodying that very thing, that law, that mercilessness, if you will. And then, so he was going to be his way or the highway. You know, if you, you heard that term before, but God had different plans for him though. Though he thought his way was the right way of doing things, he was soon to find out that the way, the movement of the way was indeed the true way to the Father, to wholeness, to healing, to shalom, to peace, right? So we see here souls hate towards the way to God, the movement of the early church. Then we see on verses 3 through 9, we see that there is an encounter that happens. There's an encounter, right? As he was on his way to Damascus, Saul had a supernatural encounter with Jesus, where the light of Jesus literally blinded Saul, right? As, as J.Y. was reading, that he, he, blind, he was blinded. His physical body, in exposure of the light and, pure, and, and the purity of Jesus, embodied the state of his soul that was in darkness. And the physical and the, the soul, there's a lot of connections. They don't separate. They don't compartmentalize soul, spirit. They, it's all intertwined. You know, your body, your soul, your spirit, it's all intertwined. If something happens to your soul, something happens to your body, etc., etc., right? Vice versa, all that sort of stuff. And then, so, so we see on verses 3 through 9 that it says that, Falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Soul, soul, why are you persecuting me? Right? But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. Now verse 7 says, The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. So rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. Right? He, was, he saw nothing. There's, You know, his eyes were open, but he, he was blinded. His soul was so in dark. His way was not the way. The light of Jesus shined through him. And then he couldn't see. He's like, I'm blinded. Maybe for three days. Can you imagine your sight being taken out for three days? Just like that. Saul experienced that. What is God trying to tell Saul by having been blinded? We, we skip that. Oh, yeah, he got blinded. Whatever. There's a reason why he got blinded. He was exposed to the light, to the truth. And he realized, oh my gosh, I've been walking in darkness my whole life. I am blind, right? I am blind. And then, um, so uh, arose, you know, saw nothing, but so they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he he was without sight. I neither ate nor drank. I mean, I probably... Won't do that either if I'm just blinded all of a sudden. I'll be so like in awe of that, what's going on. Just an experience. You know, he didn't eat, he didn't drink. He was just like probably perplexed at the whole situation and encounter. He just says with this guy who says that I'm persecuting him. You know, which meant that if you persecute the church, you persecute Jesus. If you are denied and and you are following the way and you believe in Jesus, when people deny you, reject you, they don't reject you. They reject Jesus. Now, when you reject a believer, when you reject someone that brings the word of God, you reject, not rejecting that person, you're rejecting Jesus himself. It's just how it works. That's why Jesus, why are you persecuted? It's not like Jesus is like walking around being persecuted. He was already resurrected ascended and with, with the Father. But he's like, why are you persecuting me, the body of Christ, the people? So, so now we see that on verses 3 through 9. We see that, that encounter. And, 
And Jesus, in his mercy, told him the truth and showed him in tough love. That's like a tough, you ever heard tough love? Jesus had this tough love for Saul, right? Just tough love, right on. That what he was doing through what he thought it was the right path was completely wrong. And that he was persecuting Jesus. You know, and, and Saul is pursued by Jesus and encounter. Now, now notice how he, Saul is pursued by Jesus Encounters him radically. And, and, and that's the thing. Like radical situations need radical encounters. Radical circumstances require radical encounters. Radical, radicals, uh, uh, radical problems, addictions. Rad- you know what I'm talking about. Don't look at me like you don't know. You know. What is your problem? What is the thing that you struggle? What is the thing that you're doing that you know in your consciousness that is not right, but it's so hard for you to stop doing it. Procrastination, putting things away, or drinking some things that you shouldn't, taking some things in that you shouldn't, or relational stuff that you know you shouldn't be doing that kind of stuff, you know, whatever. Whatever you know that's a struggle, you know, that, why cannot you stop it? Why cannot you just, like, you want to, but you might not be able to? Because you can't, unless... Jesus takes it out. But radical circumstances, radical addictions, radical uh, sickness, all these radical things, right, need radical encounters. It's not that, that why, didn't, why didn't God just send Peter and talk to Saul? Or, or, or like, you know, remember Philip? We talked about a couple of, uh, a week ago or so. Like, we saw him in two sermons, Philip, the evangelist. He went, he preached, he talked to the Ethiopian eunuch. You know, why didn't Jesus just encounter the Ethiopian eunuch? Why did he send Philip? But with Saul, why didn't Philip was sent by God, by Jesus to talk to Saul and then transform? Why? Because the Ethiopian eunuch wasn't in, in that kind of stage of radicality like Saul. Saul needed a radical encounter. A radical, he was in a radical place. To, he needed a radical encounter. Now, some of us might need a radical encounter. Or a radical action. Radical things require radical actions. It's not like, oh yeah, I'm just going to work on that little by little. Tomorrow will be a new day. Everything's fine. No, no, no. It's just not like that. You just got to be super radical with these things. If you ain't radical, that, there's not going to be radical transformation. Right? So now, that's the encounter that we see. On verses 10 through 18, we see the vision and an unlikely candidate. Right? We see the vision that, that Ananias has. And as the vision revealed, a very, 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 very unlikely candidate. So notice how Ananias knew the voice of the Lord as a disciple of Christ. As he responds here, I am Lord. In contrast, we see that Saul responds to Jesus. Who are you? I don't know you. Right? This is quoted, by the way. He, you know, quote, here I am, Lord, unquote. That's what Ananias responds. Jesus calls to Ananias, the disciples, know Jesus. He knows the voice of Jesus. Here I am, Lord. I'm ready. Whatever you need. Saul does not know the voice of Jesus. He is completely going against Jesus. So Saul says, who are you? I don't even know you. Who are you, Lord? Lord, like, sir. Who are you, person, sir? Right? Because probably a big encounter. So who are you, Lord? Who are you? I don't know you. Yeah, also notice how Ananias, though a disciple of Jesus, responds to Christ's request with skepticism. Because of the obvious persecution his brothers and sisters have undergone. Now that's just a normal sort of response. It's not weird to respond the way Ananias responds. It's it's natural. He responds, quote, Jesus, are you sure about this? Right? No, actually, he responds here. Um, he says, Is not this man who make havoc in Jerusalem of those who hold upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose to bring them bound before the chief priest? Right? So, so we see that. Um, and then on, on, on verses, previous on verses, uh, he says, uh, on verse 13 now, he's, he also mentions about this guy. Lord, I have heard from many about this man. 
how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. So he's like, okay, this is not the kind of person. Just in case Jesus, if you didn't know this, though, Jesus knows everything. This is not the guy you want to be dealing with, you know. I mean, this guy is the least person you want to deal with. You can send me to any person, but not this guy, right? And he's like, he says, um, he says, um, basically he's saying, Jesus, are you sure about this? I don't think you realize who you, who you are talking about here. Saul from all planet earth is the least person you want to deal with as he has probably done the most evil to the disciples of the way. This is what he's basically saying, right? <clears throat> so also the specificity of Ananias and he even knew that Saul had authority to imprison people like him, you know? He even knew that because then on verses 22 or 21, I think, he says, like, oh, he, he actually has authority. How did he know these things? The word just travels so fast that he as a disciple, he already knew that Saul has authority to imprison people on the very area that he lives. Now, obviously, we see here that Ananias, right, has a natural fear, right? We see that, that Ananias... Uh, had a natural fear that he could get imprisoned by Saul if he goes to him, but rather trusted Jesus' request. Like he knew like, okay, it's not just about all what I mentioned, but it's also about the fact that, um, it's also about the fact that, that he is fearful of dying. Ananias is fearful of just being killed. What if I go to Saul and then he has all the power to imprison me because that's the very thing that he's come. Now Ananias could be like, Jesus, I don't want to go, but I don't want to risk it. But what did he do? Even, I think Ananias is fair. Everything that's going on here is fair. It's not like he should have been like, oh yeah, I'm ready to go. Oh, yeah, yeah, I don't think like that's what a natural response would have been of a disciple, but he's just like fearful. He expresses his emotions. That's normal. The sound talks about people expressing their emotions. It's okay to express your emotions. It's not that you're evil if you're saying like, oh, like doubting. It's not like you're doubting. It's just you're expressing a natural fear. It's okay to express, express your, it's actually healthy to express your fears, to express your emotions, to feel abandoned, to feel like this is not the way things are supposed to go. It's okay. But the thing is that even as he's expressed, he actually obeyed Jesus' request and went and did it, regardless of the fear, regardless of all of that, right? And, and then we see that um, here now, though, that there is a, 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 an amazing response to Ananias, to his good background. He, he, he's going all the ground, Ananias knows his thing, he knows who this guy is. And then Jesus responds um, about a very unlikely candidate to be chosen, He's, Jesus says that he is a chosen, that Saul is a chosen instrument to carry his name to the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, right? But also mentions that how much Saul will suffer for the sake of my name, Jesus said. I will send him to kings, to Gentiles. I will send him as my instrument. But he's going to suffer too, just like you are going to suffer. The disciples of Jesus are going to suffer Saul will suffer as well for the sake of my name. So then Ananias went and did as he was told, welcoming Saul as a brother. When he laid his hands, he regained his sight, Saul, and the Holy Spirit filled Saul up. He said that when he laid his hands, he's like, Ananias, when I lay your hands, your sight will be recovered. And then what? And then he's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Again, you got to be filled with the Holy Spirit to be sent out in a supernatural way. So, so we see that, and actually he was immediately baptized and then took food to be restrengthened, the scripture says. So, so now we see, we see how their souls hate towards the way. We see that he had a powerful encounter. Jesus had a powerful, I mean, uh, Saul had a powerful encounter. His sight was gone for three days. Ananias receives a vision who doubts 
about what Jesus, are you sure about this? Expressing fear, but Jesus is like, yes, I, I have chosen him. He will also suffer. And then I say, okay, God, okay, Jesus, I'll go. And he went, did as he was told. And then we see that there is a sending out of Saul, which Ananias was sent to send. Everything's about being sent to send, right? Just like Philip was sent to the Ethiopian eunuch, and then the Ethiopian eunuch was sent to send people in his in the Nubian kingdom, right? Same here. Ananias was sent to Saul so that Saul might be sent out, right? So notice how here Saul is immediately sent by the Holy Spirit to go and be among the disciples and preach the good news in the synagogues. We see that on verses 19 through 30. All of that passion, energy, leadership, and skill set was redeemed by Jesus, which simply means that he turns the evil and somehow makes it into something beautiful. It's like making roses out of ashes, right? It's like just out of ashes, he just makes beautiful things, right? And it's just what Jesus is all about, just making what's horrible, what's unuseful and impossible on something beautiful, possible. It's just his nature, just transforming deeply people. He's on that sort of business. So, so now we see that that's turned around and now that all of that passion, energy, leadership and skill set is being used to bring the good news of Jesus to many. Notice how now Saul is using his skill set as a learned Pharisee to go to the synagogues to persuasively speak of Jesus who has transformed him supernaturally. It was such a surprise even of this supernatural transformation that even the apostles in Jerusalem had to be convinced by Barnabas as we see later on. And also notice how persecution and opposition started immediately as he started preaching Jesus. Even people were guarding the gates were guarding the gates to kill him. And, and, and then he had to be sent down through a basket, you know? Because otherwise he would have been killed, even in the very beginning of his ministry. He just what, became a target right away of the very system that he supported. Now all his brothers at the time were like wanting to kill him now. <laughs> just turn against him, Right? Oh, he's not following the law no more. He's not my brother no more. Let's kill him. You know, it's very easy. Just like that. Right? So we see that sending out of Saul. And then we see the church and the comfort of the Holy Spirit happening in verse 30. So here we see how Luke emphasizes that the church was continued to be built throughout all Israel. So if we go back to verse um you know, uh, verse 30, after he was, he spoke about, okay, Saul went, preached, no one believed in him. <laughs> the disciples didn't believe like he was transformed because he's, they, even, they even said, this, wasn't this the guy that the scripture said here, wasn't this the guy that wanted to kill us? And wanted to, like, everyone was so confound. Those that, the Pharisees, those that, that were, that used to be part of, of, of Saul's circle of influence, but also those that were part of the way. Everyone was confounded, like, this isn't the one that used to kill us, and they just, well, this is the one that wanted to just, just persecute the way. It was just so weird. Everything was so, almost like, confounded is the right way. Everyone was confused, like, how is this? Like, there had to be something supernatural happening here. Like, otherwise, how this transformation can happen out of nowhere? Right. So so then after all of that, we see that 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 he spoke against the Jews. He spoke against the Hellenists, which was the 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 Greek, the Greeks, Greek speaking Jews. Right. And they were seeking to kill him, too. The Hellenists were seeking to kill Saul. The Jews, the Pharisees were seeking to kill Saul. And then and then they 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 brought him to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So then he was. All of a sudden transformed, just preaching the gospel, doing signs of the kingdom, persecution blown to, towards him. People wanted to kill him. And then Luke 
on verse um, 31, actually, I don't know why I put verse 30 there. My bad, it's 31. It says that, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. What a way to finish our, like, series with this verse, right? Nine chapters have gone. Luke comes and he says, okay, let's finish this first half with this verse. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee, Judea is a greater area. Judea is the surrounding area of Jerusalem, sort of the center. And, and then uh, Galilee is this, more of the southern side, like the rural side, right, where the farms were at. So the Galilee, then Samaria as well. So pretty much he's saying Israel, right, all of Israel had peace and was being built up, was getting ready to actually go beyond that. As we see later on, that now the gospel on the on next year, hopefully we'll talk more about this, like Saul goes beyond Israel. He goes far away, far away to the Gentiles, to the people that are not Jews at all. You know, he has conversations with people that, that, that worship Zeus and worship all these Greek gods and wanted him to become a god because they saw signs. I wanted him to become one of the Greek. They thought he was... They thought he was Zeus, you know, at some point, you know, the Greek God. And, and they wanted him to become, because of all the signs he was performing. And we see that, you know, that happened later. But now we see that, 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 that the church was, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up, was being built up, meaning like constantly built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, prerequisites, to be multiplied. Why it was multiplied? Because they walked on the fear of the Lord and on the comfort of the Holy Spirit and it multiplied. It says it multiplied. It didn't add. You add things, you know, math, you add people. No, now, you know, because in the beginning of the, of the chapters, we see like and 3,000 were added and these were added. But now we're at a point that people are not just being added. People are being multiplied. Right? Right? 3 plus 3 is 6. 3 multiplied by 3 is 9. It's a different kind of math here, right? So, so then it's like, it's like, oh, wow, like the Holy Spirit is just moving people on multiplication now. Right? So now we see that, that, that the church was continued to be built up. And notice how the church, to continue to be, Multiply, you need to walk in both the fear of the Lord, in devotion, and in the constant comfort of the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit is mentioned in the Gospels as the comforter. We see that, that he's the comforter, the ones that comfort. So in order for the church to face such opposition, it needed to be led by the Holy Spirit and somehow find the peace and comfort given by him so that they can be energized to continue to do the work of the Lord. So we are reminded of Christ's words that tells us that the Holy Spirit will remind us of the things that Christ has said and done on earth. Because that's what Jesus says. I will send my gift, the gift of the Spirit, so I will remind you what I have done on earth. And allow us the sense and the healing touch of Jesus to be comforted even in the midst of opposition and persecution. So that's what we see here. The church, right? So... So we see this, this sort of journey of souls being hated, souls hate against the way. There's a supernatural encounter, right? Then Ananias gets a vision of an unlikely candidate like Saul. Then Saul is sent out, but not before first being baptized. And what? And being restrengthened with food. Food is important. That's why food is part of who we are. So he's restrengthened with his Holy Spirit and food. And then he goes out. And does the thing, you know, and then Luke finishes, yes, the church was multiplied and comforted by the spirit. So we have journeyed, right? We have journeyed together with the early church and have seen the importance of relying on the Holy Spirit, on the Holy Spirit's powers and not on our own in order to be able to embody Christ in word, in deed, in power, where? In the circles of influence, 
right? He has called us to, right? Not all of us can be ministers. We, we, we need people on the industries, wherever you're at, as an engineer, you know, as an IT person uh, or whatever, you know, you have been empowered by the spirit to embody his, uh, the good news in word, indeed empowered. And, and, and now we have realized that this does not come easy. It's not easy. We saw that it was not easy for the early church. Ain't going to be easy for you, for me, here in New York City. Especially in New York City. Right? So we have realized this is not easy. But rather we are encountered with heavy opposition by the enemy of our souls, as the early church did. We are challenged to continue to walk in the Spirit. Non-judgmentally, as God has chosen the most unlikely instruments of his love, such as soul, right? Remaining, reminding ourselves that we are not better. And that we are in such need of Jesus as soul did. And through his redemptive love and empowerment, we will be able to share God's reign of justice to others and continue to expand his kingdom on earth. And transform lands that once were filled with darkness into God's territory with his unconditional love found in the gospel of Jesus and his power and his power to heal through his Holy Spirit. So think of the, of the Putins over there, or the Hitlers of the other day, or think of the homeless that was just on the corner over here when we came in. That you believe that God cannot transform someone like that. Or maybe we're even like asqueados, right? Or like, we, ugh, like these people, like they smell or smoke or, you know, or, or maybe not that, maybe you're, maybe it's on systems and politicians or whatever. It's like that, that you, you know, this is a reflection of your heart. Just remember, if you feel like that, that's you. If you feel like, oh my gosh, this person is like, oh yeah, I'm like that. Oh yeah. This person that has these addictions and smokes all the time, I have the heart. We all have the heart. And I think Jesus reminds us that if he changed soul, why he cannot change these people around us? Because he changed you and me. And if he changed me, how cannot he change them? Right? And it's just like, it's hard to notice, right? And we talked once a couple, you know, I think we, I don't know if he was here on, a, on, or on one of our small groups, but we talked about like the good, like the way the world tells you what is good is by comparison. So I, I am not as bad as a person that killed that person, right? That's, that's how the good, I am a good person is like, or, oh, I'm a good person because I gave all my money and I went to Africa and gave them like clean water you know well guess what there was a lot of people on the early days in the 1960s 1950s where was the whole stuff that happened here right with uh, martin luther king jr and and the revolution against racism guess what the the whites on the south that were actually killing blacks they were giving lots of money to africans to african kids and they were doing these things. They were fundraising stuff. And they felt good because they were good people. And they were giving all this food and money to the kids in Africa. And they would feel good about themselves. But then they were killing the blacks of their land. It's just, yes, our human heart is. We think that we're good when we're not. We just got to dive deep. Right? So let's reflect before I start crying. Let's reflect. I always get emotional. But um, anyways, reflection. Let's just reflect now. This has been a good kind of serious. So we're, we're going to have a couple of things here. So get ready. Um, if, this is, if, you, if there is a time to get ready, this is it. Okay, so reflect. Um, in what ways have I found myself opposing Jesus or his followers, judging Christians or the church because of the evil they have done? Now, this is not just for those that follow Jesus. If you don't consider yourself a Christian, this is a question for you too. In what ways have I found myself opposing Jesus or his followers? 
judging Christians or the church because of the evil they have done. Thinks of the crusades, thinks of the Christians that, that have uh, discriminated the gay, the LGBTQ community, the blacks, the, you know, like people of other race. The church that they call themselves a church when they're not because they don't follow Jesus with their lives, but have stained the church's reputation through centuries, right? And we saw that on the Crusades and the Middle Ages and all that stuff. But think about that. I found myself opposing Jesus and his followers judging Christians or the church because of the evil they have done. Have we have put all of them on the same, right, pot? Put them all on the same pot. And all the Christians. You found a lot of that in the city. This city, Christianity is not neutral. In this city, Christianity is advers- an adversary. Is the people that hate, the people that have done evil, the people that are have son retrogradas, like they say in Spanish. They mean like they have a reverse mind, mind of uh, ancient mind. You know, I don't know if there is a way of translating that, Lauren, but some someone that retrograde. retrograde I don't know, but it's just a way of like thinking, like they just think backward. They all have, they all have these traditions that are against, you know. So, again, there is that in the city, but also the church does the same towards the city. And, and, and that's when we have to change. We don't have to judge. We don't have to become judgmental either, right? So, so and there's going to be a, a question about that too. But, 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 you know, so has the story of Saul offered me a different perspective of God's grace and redemptive power, right? So, so has this story maybe has... Oh, you know what? Like, yeah, Christianity has done his evil thing, but that's not the Christianity that Jesus wanted. The Christianity Jesus wanted is what we see on the Acts of the Apostles and other things that we've seen on history that Christianity has done well. But, but has this story of Saul offered me a different perspective of God's grace and redemptive power? Hmm, that's an interesting... Maybe it's giving me a different perspective. Now, another question is, in what ways... Might the Holy Spirit be prompting me to open myself to radically encounter Him? To radically encounter Him. And then, have I given up on some souls in my life, seeing their radical transformation as almost impossible, or perhaps the soul I might have given up is myself? So I'm just going to invite Laura just to uh, lead us in time of reflection and worship. Thank you, Laura. So, so uh, as we said on the, on the second question, though, it, it, today was said that a radical situation requires a radical encounter, a radical action, just as we saw in Saul's life. So then thinking on that, in what way might the Holy Spirit be prompting me to open myself to radically encounter him? Radical situations require radical encounters, require radical actions. What sort of radicality I need to go forth for me to do that? For me, this season has been to give, which is hard and still hard, but giving myself rhythms because otherwise I get crazy with two kids. And then I get angry at Andrea, I get angry at everyone, yell and all that. Why? Because I, God told me, radical thing. What is a radical thing you need to do, which is hard for me. This might not be hard for some of you, but for me it is. For some of us, it's having discipline and rhythm. At this time I need to do this. At that time I need to do that. At that time I need to pray. And this time I need to pray and read the Bible. I need to... If I don't have that, I cannot make it. I lose sanity. Right? Having two under two lose equals to losing sanity. Right? So then... I needed to do that radical thing in the last in the last two weeks. It's a radical thing. I needed to have discipline, and it's hard because sometimes I don't do it. Sometimes I fail. Sometimes, and then I found myself when I fail, like it, it just spills out of my soul to other people, and then they pagan pato, like they say in Peru. You know, they they pay for it. <laughs> you know, um, so so then so then what is that radical thing? Right? So think about those things right now. I mean, just, just close our eyes and just like reflect and pray. 
So in what ways have I found myself opposing Jesus? So, Holy Spirit, I pray you will reveal, either if I am a follower of Jesus or not, or regardless of my background, regardless of what I believe, I pray you bring revelation. If I found myself opposing Christianity, judging other Christians, judging the church because of the evil they've done, has the story of Saul offered me a, a perspective? So God, I just pray that is, is that one of us that you will reveal that perspective of oh, maybe 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 I have to come to you. Maybe I have to say, hey Jesus, you know what? I'm sorry. I want this thing that you have. I want this Jesus. I receive the good news. Maybe that's you, or maybe you have done that, and and maybe you're like, hey, you know what? The radical step is baptism. The radical step is like so right there right on that moment radical transformation he just was baptized right there right there you know we don't know how maybe they throw a bucket of water in his head because we don't even know there was a river around him but something had happened you know something had happened right yeah so I just had this image of Nacho Libre when he was like, like on the baptism on this, like, if you've watched that movie, but maybe something like that, just like, like just a baptism, right? What is, what is God? I know it's kind of funny. God is funny too, but what is it that God is trying to tell you here? What is that step of faith? And what is the Holy Spirit? What is the radical thing you need to take? And now... Holy Spirit, just pray. What is that giving up on my souls in my life? What is that thing that I despise? What is that thing that I don't like? That is a reflection of my heart. That I, that perhaps I have given up on these people. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe someone in your life. That, There's no way that person's going to get redeemed. There's no way that person's going to be transformed. There's no way that people's going to be transformed. There's no way that person's going to encounter God and be completely 180 degree transformed think of that person that is kind of impossible for them to just giving them to the Lord and now think perhaps that might be yourself on that radical transformation that you need perhaps it's you so Holy Spirit God I just pray God will you come whatever it is that you've revealed Holy Spirit I pray that you will bring it forth into the forefront of our minds and that we will journal it, that we will write it down, that we will forget, that we'll take the step of faith, that we'll take the step of radical transformation or the radical circumstance that I need transformation. Or, or, or maybe, God, maybe I need forgiveness. So, so, God, I just pray you forgive me for judging these people. So, God, I pray forgiveness for being judgmental because when I judge them, I judge my heart. I become guilty because you've saved me. So God, I just pray, whatever you need to do, do it now. That we may live transformed. That we may live anew today, God. In Jesus' name. Now, just a, a, a weekly challenge here. Yeah, there, there you go. I just want to make sure it's that. So weekly challenge here. We have, today it's a special day. Because we're finishing a series of, I don't know, like 10 weeks or something. And, and, and so we're going to have a weekly challenge. What is a weekly challenge for us this week? Because we are not Sunday-centric, right? We want you to go Monday through Saturday. That's it, living, living out the life of Jesus, right? So what is a radical step of faith in order to change that radical sin? What is that radical sin of procrastination, of, of lack of discipline, or perhaps lack of flexibility? Maybe you're too disciplined. You're hard to yourself. Lack of having, just, there's a mentor of ours, he has a, you just, you just gotta have fun, you just laugh a little bit, you know? Maybe you just need to laugh a little bit. What is that radical thing? You know, that tem radical temptation, addictive behavior, or impossible circumstances that requires a radical action. You gotta follow it with a radical action. What is it? So this week I challenge you, challenge myself what is a radical step for deep transformation like soul had and now there's a serious challenge here and this is so cool i'm very excited about it so after reflecting on the first half of the book of acts what are some practical ways to get involved in the church 
I'm moving the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to embody Christ in word, deed, and power. Now, guess what? The early church, this is the church. Right? Look around. People from all sorts of backgrounds and nations. And, uh, this, is, this is your community. Right? This is, for some of you, is the, the place you call home for, for, as a church. So, so, so what are some practical ways to get involved Right? We've seen that the people of God and the early church got involved and just did stuff and they, they shared everything and nothing was owned by anyone. And they would just go and, and have parties and eat good food and then they'll go and pray for people and tell the good news and all that good stuff. Right. So now today I want to challenge all of us. What are some practical steps and ways to get involved in the church? Right, Leo? <laughs> yes, Leo said, you know, he just ran to the altar. He's like, I'm ready. I'm ready to get involved, Dad. How can I do this? Okay, so, so uh, I mean, it, it, some examples, all right? Get involved in a discipleship small group to grow in intimacy with God. We have gospel encounters. We're going to have soul care coming soon, right? For deep transformation, deep healing. Um, it might be uh, inviting friends to Alpha. Grace is going to talk to us a little, in a little bit about Alpha. You know, Alpha, it's so important that we're, we're actually promoting it more than a month in advance, right? Because we want you to think of a friend, think of someone that is kind of open to faith kind of thing, you know. Invite him. Invite him over to Alpha, right? And then... Um, then it might be uh, opening my house for an online Sunday gathering experience, right? Thanks, AJ. Thanks, yeah. Opening your ha- opening your house, right? For 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 that sort of stuff. Or volunteering to meet with new international students and be Christ to them. We have so many opportunities, so many events with Bridges. We partner with Bridges International. That is part of our impact value. Global, remember, global and local. Guess what? That's our local. We want to reach these students. They don't have, some of them, they don't have an apartment. Some of them, they just, they just want to be in community. They feel lonely. In what ways can you, can you do that, right? And then getting involved in worship or discipling the next generation by getting involved in City Kids Ministry. Talk to Carolina, right? Talk to Patricio. No, just kidding. Not Patricio, but his wife, her, Carito, right? If you want to get involved in the barbecue ministry, talk to Patricia. He did an amazing job a couple of weeks ago. Thank you. And also on engineering the stuff for the kids yesterday. He's just building all this stuff. Thank you. But, but of course, like, you know, like maybe next gen. Maybe it's the kids. Getting involved in worship with Lara. You have music. You have a way of doing things, but you're kind of shy. Don't worry. Talk to Lara. She's done this. She's gone through this. She's not going to pressure you and pull you to play music right away. She's kind and grateful. So she'll talk to you, but come. She's, she's going to disciple you well. She's an amazing leader, amazing worship leader. So if that's you, come on over, you know. Worship can be that or the next gen. I don't know. It's just endless opportunities. So there's a challenge for you. I know we're going over time, but give me grace. It's the end of the series, okay? In the end of the, it's, it's three times a year or something. Right? Okay. So here we go. So that's the challenge. And now with that challenge, think about it. Don't just leave this place. And then it's going to be awkward next Sunday if you don't do nothing, you know? So don't make it awkward, okay? <laughs> just kidding. No pressure. But, uh, but let's just stand and just worship God, you know? We, we just love to do that. So thank you, guys.